the time has come for another serious episode where I get weepy and talk about my personal problems because this is my podcast and I can do that anytime I want. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll keep it light. I'll try not to get too gloom and doom because, you know, nothing is ever gloom and doom. You know, I mean, sometimes there is, you know, but for, for most people, there is some sort of hope or light in their life that ultimately keeps them going. Um, that makes them uh, hold on to what they have, even if what they have isn't much or uh, is somewhat meager because, you know, the alternative is the the shattering void of nothingness, which can be appealing sometimes. But uh, ultimately, I generally think it's better to be alive than dead. I don't know what it's like to be dead, not really, and uh, this is at least tested, even though it's kind of crappy sometimes, you know, I know sort of what to expect, and uh, so what I wanted to talk about today was, you know, how do you, you know, continue living in the face of maybe not insurmountable odds, but just this constant pressure on you, and um, in, in some ways real physical actual pressure on you because as the title of the episode suggests you are living with pain you have some sort of chronic condition that is uh unfortunately defining how you live you'd rather it not define how you live but it uh really affects you in some way uh such that you cannot be the person that you want to be because you are constantly afflicted with this type of thing. And, um, you know, uh, I'm sure this applies to, you know, a wide range of stuff, a wide variety of, uh, of different types of pain as well, you know. And the pain that I live with each day, I'm sure, is, is very mild compared to, you know, some people that have, you know, Crohn's disease or, like, significant chronic conditions uh, or even, you know... I, I, fibromyalgia, which, you know, people balk at all the time, but I'm fairly certain it exists. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure people, there are people that actually have it and have really bad versions of it, you know, just this sort of mysterious uh, chronic pain. You know, I think that's the other part of these conditions, especially the ones that are invisible, the ones that you can't see on the surface. Um, it's just like uh, people assume you're faking it constantly. It's also the thing with like mental illness too, because you can't actually see it. You you know when you try and talk to people about it, or you feel uncomfortable talking to people about it because you think, well, this is just going to seem like I'm making this up, and you're going to assume like I'm making this up in order to be you know lazy or shirk my responsibilities or you know get out of doing stuff, but. Um, yeah, there is some desire of you that wishes that you could convey or, you know, actually sometimes assign the pain you have that you live with constantly to other people just so they know, no, this is real. I'm sorry. I'm not being productive with my emails at work today, but, you know, my nerve endings are going nuts. You know, my nerve endings in my stomach are going nuts. Um. I once had an idea where it would be like uh, there would be a little projector uh, on your forehead and it would monitor your cortisol levels. And uh, every time your cortisol levels would spike, depending on how high your cortisol levels were, it would make a big wound on your forehead. And the more your cortisol was spiking, the bigger the wound would be. So people would be able to see uh, just how much distress you were in. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, that would obviously be silly. That would be silly. Um, and, it, you know, for a lot of people who live with these chronic pain conditions, you know, you can sort of rationalize it. It's it's not so bad, especially compared to other people. There's always somebody who's living with something that's an everyday condition that's much worse. You know, um, you know I'd rather have you know, this than maybe a, a, a more significant disability. Because it's, you know, which isn't, I love all the disabled people out there, but I think they'd be the first to admit the world sometimes is difficult. It's not made for you when you're disabled, and that can be very frustrating. You still want to live. You still want to live your life and be the best person you can be, but it's difficult when you're always having, you know, there is some part of you that's always having to ask for uh, accommodations that you absolutely deserve, 
but um, people are unwilling to give because, you know, they're selfish or inconsiderate or, you know, they, they feel like it's a hassle or you're made to feel like some sort of burden, um, you know, and obviously being disabled is entirely, I mean, it's, it's sort of on the spectrum of, you know, humans living with medical conditions, but it's, you know, it's a much different thing than these sort of chronic pain conditions, which is why I don't want to conflate them too much. But, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, the other thing with being disabled too, is people like you, they can see it, which is, you know, um, it, it, you know, which is to say that it's like th this aspect of it is better than the chronic pain conditions, but there is some sort of a, a mild bit of fucked up envy in that, like, oh, I wish people could see how bad I felt every day. <laughs> you know, I wish people could see see how like physically uh, infirm I actually was because you know I sort of look normal if you're just seeing me walk around. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that I'm just constantly nauseous. And um, that is the form that my chronic pain takes, which is, um, you know, way not as bad. You know, I, I would not, tons of people were having it much worse than me. So, I, you know, I don't want to uh, position myself as in any sort of, you know, great wiles of stress. But it's like, uh, it really affects me. It affects how much I'm able to do each day. It affects how I'm feeling. It affects my relationships. It affects how uh, if I'm able to like leave the house for extended periods of time, because I'm afraid that if I, you know, I'll go any anywhere, I'll like throw up in an inopportune place. And a lot of this is situational as well. Um, I know it is. It is uh, most likely a stress-borne thing. It could definitely be being exacerbated by uh, exacerbated by a form of marijuana hyperemesis syndrome. I am at a marijuana abuser, I would probably say, um, and uh, that's 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 a fair term for me. I, I smoke an awful lot of it, and uh, I'm not proud of it. I don't think it's particularly good for me, but I just picked up the habit, and uh, you know, I I it sort of makes my life worse. But the other thing is, if you have the marijuana hyperemesis syndrome, the only thing that can uh, tamp it down is smoking more pot. So you end up in this loop where you, 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 you know, it's hard to tank out the first five days of intense nausea after giving up weed for a bit. Um, but it's not just that. I know it's also stress-borne as well, because the reason why I had to quit my previous job is it was a normal office job. It was not a particularly large amount of responsibility it was a normal amount of work responsibility but i just would it's it's the cycle where you wake up in pain you wake up ang anxious you get this morning anxiety of what's going to come that day you get this uh, horrible knot in the pit of your stomach um and you can't eat you know, you, you like you, you can't drink anything. You can barely choke down water. Um, you're you can't sleep as a result of it because you get woken up by your nausea. So you're like sleeping three to four hours at a time, especially like when the light of morning hits. You know, that's it. Uh, and uh, so you can't get any work done because you feel physically terrible. You feel too physically terrible to like apply any brain power to anything. And uh, the fact that you're not getting work done just makes the work pile up, which makes you even more stressed out, which means you're dreading the day, which means, you know, that's, you know, and that's the cycle of this nausea. Some people, everyone has this anxiety, but for some wonderful special people <laughs> like myself, uh, this anxiety will manifest in uh, horrible physical negative consequences. Um which is something that I, you know, I've tried to control. I've, you know, gone to therapy. I've taken antidepressants, but they've never really been able to curb this feeling of nausea. After I quit work, for like a, for months after I quit work, I wasn't experience, experiencing this nausea, but I also wasn't doing anything. I was just in this you know, I had replaced anxiety with depression. I, I, I was in this, you know, I was living off unemployment. I was in this incredibly depressive haze where I just wouldn't do anything each day. And then eventually, you know, you can only live like that 
for so long. You know, that that's the thing with depression is you, you can have those periods where it's just six months at a time where you just can't get out of bed. But eventually, hopefully, you usually when I ad, enter the exit these periods, there's always a point where I'm just like get tired of being tired. You know, I get physically so angry at being tired that it's just enough motivation to like do something, anything else, which, you know, and that's lucky, too, because some people just have depression where they can't even get tired of being tired. So it's um, that that's the real pernicious fucked up one. But um, yeah, so eventually, because I just got tired of being tired, that's when I started doing the comics. And now that's built up into something that resembles a job, basically. Um, which I'm very happy about. You know, I, I love doing them. It's brought my life immeasurable sense of meaning because it's like I, I wasn't really good at I wasn't really good at other stuff. You know, I'm not particularly good at comics either, but I'm halfway good at them. So it's like, and as I've talked about before, there is like this cosmic terror in being forced to do something for eight hours a day that you're just not good at. There is this real sense of indignity or the idea that there is something better you could be doing with your life, something that you actually have to contribute to the world that will be infinitely more constructive than you pushing emails back and forth. But, you know, because you are forced to subsist in this world, which, you know, it's not so bad. You know, I, you know, we talk about a capitalist hellscape a lot, but I've, I've only benefited from it. You know, I am not really the person who gets truly fucked over by this. Those are, you know, uh, of course, the people in the global south and developing countries who have these enforced low standard of living in order to supply my luxury, you know. But, you know, the, the, the version of that that manifests here is this sort of, I don't know, pervasive worker on we which is ennui is not so bad as getting your limbs blown off by blasting caps, that's for sure. But um, it creates these situations where you have people like me who are in this just constant state of mild to medium pain. That's like the, the world that this creates, which is, you know, and it's you, you find ways to get through it, but it really, you know, just living with these types of things bumps the suicidality up way more. I mean, I've also, you know, I talk about, like, my bullshit political theories. You know, don't listen to me for politics. I've said once, I'll say it again, don't, please don't listen to me for politics. I have my own opinions, but I don't know shit. I don't read. I don't organize. But I notice stuff. I notice stuff, and I process, I process it in my brain head, and I, I think it corresponds to some sort of pattern. But I noticed my uh, dad's right wing turn absolutely coincided with him you know uh, doing elder care for my grandmother and as a result of just having a lot of time taken up by elder care and a lot of the stress of it he turned to stress eating which has you know caused him to gain a lot of weight and uh, he's now developed he's he's always had these conditions of chronic he's had gout for a while and that's why he had to stop you know it was almost a miracle he had gout because that's what got him to finally stop drinking in some ways but um that was no fun for him uh and uh he uh yeah he he just started to gain a lot of weight and now he's he says he has chronic pain syndrome um, which I'm sure is uh, true. He's, he's, he's suggested he has some sort of chronic pain syndrome uh, to me. Um, but, you know, he, he this is definitely brought on by his uh, lifestyle of overindulgence uh, brought about by stress. And uh, so, w- once again, you know, a lot of these, you know, pain factors can be situational as, as well. You remove one big stress like actual real stress factor in your life and that goes a long way in managing some of these especially more mentally born conditions but um the fact of the matter is that he was living this way he was gaining a lot of weight he was just feeling worse and worse every day and this made him angrier and angrier and angrier and i think he was looking just because he found himself in this natural state of anger 
he wanted to believe that, you know, this was justifiable in some way. He was right for feeling this way. When really, you know, you should feel angry all the time because, you know, no, you shouldn't feel angry. Even if there is great injustice in the world, you know, you should feel angry when you're, you know, in injustice mode and you're trying to fight that injustice, you know, whatever it may be, to, you know, fighting the anti-abortion people. Good, you should be angry at them, but you also need to be able to have parts of your life where you're not angry. Otherwise, life is an unbearable slog. You know, just retaining that fever pitch of anger constantly just, you know, talk about adding to your, your chronic pain levels as well. You're just getting all this adrenaline and cortisol and your emotions are going nuts as a result of it and you can't control your responses to people and you become way more impulse driven and um that that's the you know that's a real effect of these these types of conditions you know these types of just every day i feel bad and because i feel bad i'm just angry and i have a hair trigger and i go off at people i've been you know i don't know if you're like me you might have something i like to call the morning angries when you wake up and you're nauseous and you're anxious and you're like you got stuff that you immediately got to do but you don't feel like doing it because you feel fucking sick and um you you just so you're just cursing people out you're just cursing people out on the street for walking too close or you know uh i don't actually do that what i curse out cars for some reason, when I get the morning angries, I'll be trying to walk my dog across the street and, you know, I'll have to wait for all these cars. It's like, how dare I have to wait for these gas-guzzling monsters? I'll destroy every car. I will destroy every... You know, just saying some, like, weird madman shit to myself because, you know, I, I, I'm not dealing with these physical sensations in, in a very constructive way. Um, but um, I think... You know, you know, as a corollary to it, I, I, I bet you see a lot of people in creative positions. I would like to see, like, a, I, I can't assert this. I have no statistical data to prove it. But I think you see a lot of artists with these chronic pain conditions or these conditions which sort of would otherwise hamper their productivity or usefulness in a more traditional form of job. And, the, you know, like... A, and I think, you know, the reason why you, you see a lot of artists with this condition is because when you have this invisible pain inside of you, you know, the desperation to communicate what you feel is so much more, um, you know, communicate what you feel in any way, because there are all these invisible things inside of you that you feel that people can't understand. And if there is sort of a way to get around it or put it into some sort of shape or articulate it in a way that maybe someone else will understand, then maybe, the pain will subside if not for just a little bit because it is finally being seen you know maybe or if not the actual physical pain itself at least the corollary mental pain of feeling like you're faking it or you know just assuming that other people are other people's skepticism about what you're feeling is correct um so i yeah that i think uh what I ultimately want to say about this, too, is that um, sort of a, can be sort of a good thing. <laughs> I'm not really a good thing. I would rather not live with the pain, but it can, if applied in the right way and you take the right lessons from it, make you a more compassionate person. Or I think, you know, potentially my influence in uh, the the reason why I am a leftist or the reason why I do believe in left-wing politics or I believe that, you know, um, we should, from each according to ability to each according to his need, is, you know, I, my own experience. I think I'm kind of valuable, right? I have something to offer the world, but um, I just don't fit into that structure in the way that a person who doesn't experience these things would do. You know, you you always feel left as a, as an outsider if if there is not a robust system of uh, government checks to aid those that don't necessarily fit into that traditional working model that's expected of you when you're an adult. Um, 
because you just can't, you know? I mean, the other reason why I like cartoons is because I can fit my schedule around them. You know, I don't have to be productive right in the morning. If I'm in the morning and I'm feeling sick, I can, like, pace around for five hours until I'm feeling less sick, and then I can finally be productive. That was the problem at work, is just, like, I would need, like, just this incredible cool-down time each day in order to feel physically well enough in order to just, you know, start thinking of writing a basic email. It's, it was it was fucked up. And I'm sure, like, a lot of people are living this way, and they're not admitting it. You know, I'm sure tons of people are living this way, and they just accept it. Every day, they just take it. They're just living with one of these conditions. And, you know, how do people uh, mitigate it? Drugs or opioids. You know, my mine is, uh, of course, marijuana, which is pretty mild all things considered but you know uh, talk about uh uh talk about it uh, re- recently we saw the tragic death of smash mouth lead singer steve harwell uh who turned to drinking heavily after his uh, six-month-old child passed away of cancer and um you know talk about you know conditions of chronic pain like if you've gone through some sort of like egregious tragedy like that you know talk about living with chronic pain how are you supposed to get shit done ever you know if that happened to me i I would be on my mind constant i would not be able to of course i would start drinking heavily in order to you know try and dull the sensation of you know just visualizing the face of of my dead child in my mind you know i would never be able to stop thinking about it you know it's a miracle that people who have had children uh, pass away, uh, you know, it's a miracle that they, you know, it's not a miracle. I mean, if that has happened to you and you're listening to it and you've found a way to move on, you know, I admire your strength. That's that's a very difficult thing to do. And, of course, you know, you have a life outside of this thing. But, you know, bearing this tragedy, you're always going to bear that tragedy and there's is, is i think another part of it is accepting that this is just something that's always going to be there as well um <laughs> sometimes it will be more pronounced sometimes it will be less pronounced you can you there are some things that will make you feel stressed out about it and you know you'll probably do your best to avoid those things but sometimes those things cannot be avoided and sort of that's, you know, that's how you manage all of these conditions of, of general invisible pain, you know, uh, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you live like this? <laughs> you know, that's the big question. If you've got one of these conditions, how do you just exist like this? You know, you, you feel like this, uh, this thin skin, this thin balloon that's housing this raging colony of bees inside of you constantly how do you just live with the filled with bees constantly uh and what's weird that's that's one of the other weird things about it is somehow you do make it work you know if you if it doesn't end up being too much for you and you end up succumbing to your own hand you know which you know i've tried you can listen to other episodes about my experiences with suicidality you can listen to the depressive episode where i touch on this but you know that's that's Obviously, what happens to a lot of people with these conditions is they just can't deal with the day-to-day rigor of uh, the the upkeep, the simple amount of resources you have to devote to this thing every day. It just becomes too exhausting, and you know you want out. But I think that's only a pretty small percentage of people with these conditions. I think there is sort of a doggedness of living with something like this. There is. Um, there is something that can happen where you develop this it, it, almost you're, you're sometimes the anger of the pain motivates you to be angry at the pain and to feel a sense of revenge towards this abstract you know concept of uneasiness that is happening in your own body and you know that can form one of the most powerful motivators for staying in the game which is spite you know spite great emotion i love the emotion of spite you know that's the only reason why i do anything is spite the reason why i started cartoons is because people said oh you're not funny i was like no i'm funny it's cartoons 10,000 funny cartoons you know um 
there is something about proving somebody wrong that is sort of intoxicating and can provide a very nice temporary reprieve from what you are feeling. And there's sort of like this weird thing where your body's against it, so you're proving your own body wrong constantly. It's like, you tried to steer me one way, body, but I'm steering you another way. Ha-ha! I shall take revenge on you and mold you to my auspices. Uh, auspices? I'm, I don't know if I'm using that. I will mold you to my specifications. Ha-ha! Yeah. So... Sort of, yeah, re- revenge against your own body is, is sort of a funny emotion that you also get uh, when you live with this condition and can be a great motivator for, for staying in it because, um, you know, there's always the belief that um, things will things will get better. You won't have to feel this way forever, even though it seems like you might. I don't know. There's probably a solution. You just have to hold on to that idea, and usually that can be enough. Is like, oh, there's, I feel really bad right now, but there's probably a solution to this. I just got to find it, you know. Just got to go through the arduous process of finding it. Um, I think another thing, another thing which helps with, you know, my, my difficulties is at least temporary reprieve is meditation. I think that's a very easy way to get yourself to sort of like mitigate it a a little and usually developing a a mantra for me if you're if you're the type of anxious that i am the type of anxious that manifests in like daily bulimia you know i having these type of mantras and doing breathing exercises really really helps um it's helped me it might not help you you might have a different type of thing but the one, the one, the mantra that I've developed now that is like, I take these really deep breaths through my nose, I hold them in and breathe out. I, I do the, the meditative breathing and I, I think to myself, you don't have to feel this way. You don't have to feel this way. And it sort of works. It doesn't fully work, but it kind of works. And that's good, you know, kind, because that's all you got when you're living with these conditions is kind of works. And that's as good as you're going to get. There's never going to be any like foolproof long-lasting cure for this because it's sort of you don't really know where it comes from you kind of do and you can get there abstractly through therapy or diagnosis or your doctor but sometimes you just have something that's you know there there's not really a cure for it because it comes from an abstract place or it's something like fibromyalgia where it's like it's defined by its uh, its absence of a location it's it's defined by its absence of an origin you know which is you know how do you how do you fight something like that you know um which is you know not to say that people don't use these conditions to you know i don't know i really can't believe why anyone would want to pretend to be like this. It's not good. I don't feel good for being this way. There's a certain shame to it, too. Because it's like, I can't do the things that regular people can do. People who are much, much like, dumber than me. You know, I shouldn't say that. People are, everyone's good at something, you know. There's there's always some value to most people, I believe. Even people you really, really dislike, they probably have some sort of weird value to them. Um, but... I, I, I just, uh, yeah, you see all of these people that you think that, you know, you, you could be just as capable of, as them if you weren't living with these conditions. And there becomes this immense envy and a shame that you're just built like this, you know, especially if it's invisible and you don't know where it comes from because it's like, you know, maybe I am faking this. Maybe I am doing that. And that gets in your head and that leads to, so, you know, and, and, uh, I don't, I also want to reiterate, I don't want to compare this to people who are living with, like, significant diseases or, you know, terminal illness. There, there is a spect. that's the other thing, you know, y- you are living with a lot, you are experiencing a lot of bad stuff, but I think keeping it into perspective is also sort of a coping mechanism, you know, it's, it's one that has sort of worked for me, the idea that, However bad you have it, there is someone worse. Some people might not be comforted by this thought. I get that. I sort of am. 
that's sort of, that's sort of like uh, to me that that is like the comfort. There, there's a weird comfort in the movie, a serious man, um, which I don't know if I'm interpreting the movie correctly, but to me it was always about like there's always something worse. You know, <laughs> that's that's the thing of the movie is like no matter how bad you have it right now, it can always get fucking worse, and sort of. That's sort of uh, the wonder of Jewishness or Job or the Old Testament God is that you need to be grateful for what you have now. You need to be eternally grateful for what you have now because it can always get worse. There's always a fucking tornado on the horizon, you know. All of these, you know, quantum little atomic structures bouncing off each other can uh, end with you alive or Cy Abelman dead or anybody happening. You know, why does anything happen? Who knows? But it can always get worse, which is why you need to be grateful for what you have. Immensely grateful for what you have now. Um, I mean, you don't always have to be immensely grateful if you've been, like, dealt a shit end of the hand. I'm sure that idea is not comforting to a lot of people, but for uh, me being raised with Jewish religion and uh, me sort of liking a lot of the aspect, like instinctually enjoying a lot of the lessons Judaism taught me versus Christianity. Um, yeah, I, I really like that sort of dismalism to Judaism that the, you know, the Job story. It's like, you know, it's God is not good. He's great, but he's not good. He'll fuck you up for no reason. And you just got to take it. <laughs> and so... Yeah, that to me, that that's much more like life than, you know, the compassionate, you know, human God of Christianity. It's like, no, no, that's not what it's like at all. That's, there's no compassion. That's not, it's just a guy. He, he will ask you to kill your son and you got to be like, okay, <laughs> sure. You know, <laughs> that's what life is like sometimes. <laughs> well, not exactly like the, the Abraham story, but, um, you know, I think uh, another reason why uh, another coping mechanism of, uh, is, of course, humor. I think you see a lot of you see a lot of funny people who are living with these chronic conditions because you you once you figure out an easy way to alleviate it temporarily is with the uh, dopamine delivery system of jokes. It's like ooh, ooh, jokes. Never considered jokes as therapy. Patch Adams, that goddamn Patch Adams, was onto something. Probably not. I like how they show his methods failing horribly in that movie to the extent where it gets... It's so funny. A lady gets killed because Patch Adams tried to uh, treat a, 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 a seriously ill mental patient with the healing power of laughter. And then his friend got killed. And then the end lesson of the movie is that, no, his, his, his method worked anyway. Because uh, what, what was there? Was Philip Seymour Hoffman, was, was, it, was it PSH in that movie who was the stuffy doctor who was trying to make one of his patients eat? And then Patch Adams has a wading pool of noodles that they, that they swim around in. And finally she eats like the dirty wading pool noodles. <laughs> What a weird movie, then. <laughs> what a weird movie Patch Adams is. But, you know, and I, just remembering stuff like that, you know, thank God for, you know, you can say I'm entertainment or media brain, but these things, these respites, these escapes, they are necessary for a person living with these conditions. They are something that can distract your brain from just the the roiling pit of chaos that is constantly uh, filtering through your brain constantly you know i i mean that's why i love art and the humans that create it and why i don't want to see ai deplete it because it's like i rely on this i it's necessary for me to see the communication of other souls so that i know they're feeling the same things i'm feeling a machine I don't know. I'm sure it might get to the point where it is, but not right now. These things can't articulate anything. They, not really. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they can. Maybe you get something out of it. But, I mean, to me, like, the, the problem with AI is that it's, like, taking away, like, art is not just the art you experience, but the context surrounding it. You know, that's why I think there's been so much pushback to death of the author uh, recently too because no like 
context, the the biography of the artist, when it was produced, how it was commissioned, uh, you know, who enjoyed it. That's that's the beauty of the art. The intent of the artist forms like a huge part of appreciating it. Obviously, you can have your own interpretation and intent of the artist does not, you know, shape the entire work itself, but it's a big fucking portion of it. And if you take that away, you're just you're just missing this huge chunk of what makes art fun and satisfying and filled with the human compassion and the desire to communicate things that are otherwise very difficult to communicate. I mean, ultimately, that's the, the spiritual reason why I'm against AI and like sort of a physical reason. It does not placate the pain in the way that stuff created by actual people does, at least not to me. I'm sure you could show me like oh uh, AI AI drawing that I would not be able to distinguish as AI art, and you could come up with like a biography for an artist on ChatGPT that I probably believe and would be suckered by. Sure, but it's not real at the end of the day. Even if you fool me, it's still not real. The communication still hasn't actually happened because there was no communication to happen. You just have this composite image of this. Uh, person it lacks the specificity of an actual person but you know who knows who knows um i know the ai art that i've seen currently has that empty quality to it that uncommunicative quality um as i've said before you know i think i think art is like there are some people that enjoy art only to consume it as a distraction I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think it's this is a perfectly fine way to take in art. There's absolutely nothing uh, wrong with escapism or just watching something to watch it and not trying to think about it too hard. I, I'm, if everyone consumed art with this hugely critical eye and everyone was critiquing it and everything was Twitter all the time, that shit would be fucking unbearable. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to talk to normal people who are like, oh, yeah, so, so the Marvel TV shows. And it's like, yeah, I'm glad you like those, man. Yeah, I don't, but it's like, you know, live in a world of multitudes. You know, I, I'm glad everybody is not, you know, a welcome to Eltingville. <laughs> Super, if you don't know, uh, I think uh, Rocky or Viperwave uh, re- uh, tweeted the the pilot, uh, an animated pilot for, was it an adult swim show? I don't know. It was called Welcome to Eltingville. It was by uh, Evan Dorkin, the milk and cheese guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was about just toxic, evil nerds in an era that wasn't quite ready to handle the, the image of toxic, evil nerds. Uh, and also the animation was really good, so I'm sure it was too expensive to produce, which is why it never got picked up. But, um, yeah, sometimes I wonder, you know, if everyone had, like, the big critical media literacy eye, would we just all become Eltingville people, you know? Would we all become... These fucking vicious, hectoring nerds. I hope I'm not like that. Pro- probably not. I'm probably extrapolating too much from that. But, um, uh, it, yeah, I, I think uh, it, there is some part of me which is like, uh, you know, you don't have to constantly be thinking about art in order to, like, be the true appreciator of it. I think it helps to be the, you know, I think it's obviously I would rather discuss it with people who are interested in it than, you know, people who only seek to uh consume it for pleasure just exclusively for pleasure's sake I, I you know i get more out of the discussion and the context of it than other people necessarily but i don't want to say that the other way of enjoying it is like bad or a moral failing in any way because it's just simple it's not you know um but i think those people you know those people who don't use art for communication they're going to be fine with ai art and really there's nothing wrong with that i hate it you know, I don't like it, but it's just like, you know, what do you want? This is most people, I, I believe. You know, most people aren't using art in order to communicate. They do it. They find their sort of spirit of com- community through other means, you know, whether it be through, I don't know, fantasy football or, you know, their, their real, like, human relationships, doing activities with their loved ones. You know, they don't rely on media as much in order to get at these sort of uh, specific emotions that they feel they haven't seen articulated yet. But to me, that's what I need. I need that shit because it's like, 
the more I see something, the more I see art that reflects what I'm going through, the, the, the more the pain is subsided, or at least the corollary mental pain of believing that I'm faking it or believing that, you know, I am somehow, you know, less worthy because my pain is more abstract or uh, more difficult to pin down than, you know, the actual concrete difficulties of others. Um, so, yeah, I, because I, I, I need that aspect of it, that's why I ultimately can't endorse AI uh, or, or think that it's, you know, going to contribute to uh, something that at least, you know, alleviates the need for art or alleviates the need for traditional art because, you know, I think without that individual spirit behind it or not even an individual spirit but sort of like a, a specific idea with a group or a small group of humans that sort of manifests in a in a specific way i mean that's the word really is specific i find that the the ai art at least as it currently is it just lacks specificity it is designed to lack specificity because it is a series of composite images and so um yeah, to me, without that, that's like really you're missing a huge part of, you know, not just the emotional reason why you enjoy art, but the practical reason so that you feel less alone in this world, you know, and the less alone you feel, the more you're going to be willing to put yourself out there, do the things you actually want to do and create a community of like minded people. Uh. So uh, another way that people cope with this, which I've heard is really good, it didn't work for me. I, 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 maybe I want to try it again and take it more seriously. Apparently cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, it doesn't work for like the physical stuff like fibromyalgia, but if you have like a mental illness born physical pain that you're just living with constantly, um, CBT I've heard is very good for that. I could never get into a cognitive behavioral therapy because I had a couple of like bad experiences with it um i think the people who are into it there are a lot of therapists who are very pushy with it and if a therapist is like really pushy with something sometimes that can be a, a turnoff and it, it was for me in this case um i didn't like the idea of having like m the problem at my job is that i was stressed out by all the work that was piling up and now I have this this type of therapy that requires homework. So it's like, I don't think this was going to be the one for me. Uh, um, but if you are able to commit to lists, and um, it's sort of a version of what I was saying before, that meditation thing where you sort of choose a mantra and meditate on it and sort of try and psych yourself up into living in the present and appreciating where you're at right now. And letting that appreciation of where you're at right now wash over what residual pain you may be feeling. Um, but yeah, I think that was... Um, I think it's been like disappointing for this constant nausea to come back because I thought after I quit my job I had finally beat it. And if I was doing comics, something that I found inherently way more fulfilling than doing emails, you know, then, oh, this pain will never return because now I am fulfilled and I'll be commit to it. But, you know, once you start getting established and you start having to live up to uh, some sort of image that you've created or you've set a standard for yourself for comedy, having to live up to that standard constantly is um, uh, can be tiring. And the feeling that you're faltering can be very tiring as well, which sort of uh, causes the stress, which d don't take this as oh poor me i'm the poor little comic because i'm not i have like i i'm so happy with what i do every day but this is just part of it that i am learning to deal with you know as as i'm sure that a lot of people who have even found stuff that that makes them happy and makes them fulfilled deal with this sort of uh this sort of stress constantly um so yeah i think there was um yeah, a real palpable sense of disappointment is like, oh, great, this is returned. This this feeling that I thought would go away, you know, I just can't escape it. They're doing the fulfilling thing is not uh, is not enough. There has to be some sort of other other thing. It's it's helped for a while, but uh, now I've realized the bigger problem is management over responsibility over expectation over work 
which is you know which is a uh, also another blow because you know last episode i was talking about self-infantilization and the constant you know uh, uh you know refrain of oh these millennials don't want to fucking work you know they're all little babies you know fuck them which you know in my in my own life sort of proves horribly true because it's like work literally makes me sick <laughs> it makes me feel physically ill which is fucked up you know i feel like a fucking stupid little baby as a result of it and you know that just makes me feel more fucked up um, and, uh, you know, ultimately the only way to deal with it is just using a bunch of those methods that I talked about it, sort of piecemeal. You just sort of push it back at a time, uh, one day at a time, and some days it just doesn't feel as bad as the others. Some days it feels really bad and you can't do anything. Um, but, um, I think ultimately, as Obama would say, <laughs> it's the audacity of hope. I never read the audacity of hope book. I really, uh, uh, you know, I, the title is sort of a snappy title. I like, uh, I like the idea of uh, Hank Hill reading it because Hank Hill would always say the audacity, and say in, in that Hank Hill way, the audacity of hope by Barack Obama, huh? And uh, <laughs> um, but I like that phrase because to me there is there is a truth that rings out in that phrase. Like there is, um, I don't know how he explains it in the fucking book. I'm never gonna read the fucking Obama book. But that one phrase I think is a good phrase because there is sort of an audaciousness uh, in the irrational belief that things will get better. You don't know that, <laughs> you know. You hope for that, but really that is counter to our weird Old Testament God <laughs> that we have. You know, the sort of the the knowing certainty that things can always get worse. You have to at the same time believe that, uh, no, things can actually get better, too, even though it seems like they do so rarely. At least for someone like me, who is sort of, you know, uh, unappreciative and, um, you know, not as well adjusted as uh, maybe some of those other people that really take stock. I think, you know, I, I, shat on, I shat on Christian idealism. But one thing I do think, while you do, see, you do tend to see, like, um, a lot of happy Mormons, I, I mean, not the ex-Mormon, not the gay ones, they, they're all horribly fucked up. Well, not all, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to, do, but you will see, like, a high reporting of sort of satisfaction amongst Christians, because I think there is, like, a, there is something, if you do practice Christianity in sort of uh, a wholesome and uh, in a way where you're not trying to use it to feel superior to others, but rather to feel like a greater kinship to the world around you. And, you know, as much as I dislike Christianity, I think a lot of Christians practice it this way, and I think it's fine when they do. I think um, most of these Christians aren't the ones who are like foaming at the mouth anti-gay people. They're just like, I don't know, I want to feel close to something greater than myself. Isn't that, you know, isn't that a natural desire? Well, sure. And, yeah, they don't go out of their way to antagonize me. Um, but it's just, you know, fucked up that they're part of an organization that contains people that do. So, so it's like, it's. I mean, you always have to sort of dither about that. But when I ever saw Christian guys at my school, like, they would pray before each meal, especially the one I knew, like, um, he, he took it really seriously. And he was someone, that, you know, eventually who also had, like, a series of anxiety problems that kept him from doing what he wanted to do. But I think um, uh, uh, the, 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 this prayer gave him a sense of gratefulness, you know, a sense of genuine gratefulness and a sense of present-mindedness that I was sort of enviousness, envious of. You know, he genuinely was thanking God for his— Some Christians, like, do this by rote. They don't actually put their whole ass into it. But this guy put his whole ass into it. He really actually was very thankful for his daily bread. And I'm not. <laughs> you know, I'm just not. I can't. I, I don't have the conviction that allows me to. Experience. I should. I should be more grateful. But uh, and that's something I'm trying to develop. Hey, that's another mechanism to cope. Is And, and part of the meditation that I suggest earlier is uh, putting yourself in the present and appreciating what you have now and it can make it feel a little better but it's never gonna go away but a little better is enough and uh yeah maybe maybe you're like me and maybe you've done all these before and if this if communicating this has made you feel like a little less lonely in terms of just dealing with these sort of uh, invisible pains uh then uh 
you know, I, hopefully I was able to do that because that's the thing to me, you know, almost more than the pain itself. That's the one that really gets to me is the fact that it's so difficult to communicate what you're feeling to other people and how bad you're feeling. And it's not that you just want, it's not that you want sympathy or to be pitied. It's just like maybe more understanding if you're not feeling up to that day or you're like skittish or irritable or like you're talking too loud or you're like you're, you know, your behavior's a little off. You just want a little more compassion just so you could show people, you know, no, this is what I'm dealing with, right? You know, this is, it's a miracle that I'm even this put together right now. Don't you understand? But, you know, you can't do that to people. You just got to get along and, and be polite. Because if you were just shaking people at the shoulders saying, don't you understand my pain? You know, you wouldn't be able to get anything done. And people would hate you for, for good reason. <laughs> for good reason. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, if you're feeling this way and you haven't tried art yet, maybe give art a try. Art therapy really works for this. It has worked immensely for me for this. Also been the source of some of the stress for this. But, yeah, it's sort of the art. The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's what it is for me, at least. All right, thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day.